there's a line in that song that said that I'm going to view or see the fight for the victory. And, you know, a lot of times, I don't know how you look at it, but sometimes I've looked at miracles as the lottery. It's kind of like, you know, you pull the handle or you buy your ticket and hope that it happens. But you know what? Victory's already been won. Whatever, whatever you need is a miracle in your life. It's already been done. Now, now we just have to obtain it. And that's viewing it from the victory. Victory's already been won. You know, I was thinking of a scripture there a minute ago in 1 John, I think it's in chapter 4 or 5, it says that, um, well, I don't know what it says. No. Um, what, whatever is born of God has the victory. And this is the victory that's overcome the world, our faith. So believing that he already has given us the victory perpetuates a miracle in your life. It, it perpetuates the miracle knowing that you have the victory. If you don't know that you have the victory, it's going to be more difficult for that miracle to travel the pathway it needs to travel to get to you because it comes through the conduit of faith. And that conduit of faith drives what has already been won into you, the victor. Amen? So if you, if you need a miracle today, know that God has already won that. Jesus won that on the cross. His blood, His precious blood was poured out for you to have that victory. That is the victory that overcomes the world. It's our faith in Him his word and his blood and his cross. Amen. Father, I just thank you so much today. I praise you and I glorify you. I worship you, magnify you, God. Father, I magnify you, make you bigger than you already were in my life, in our lives. So Father, I just thank you so much for these that have opened up their hearts to worship you to take this time to allow music to prepare them for what you have for them. God, we love you so much. We thank you that you have given us the victory through your son, Jesus, that overcomes the world. It's our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, that, that word, overcome, is the Greek word Nike. God was Nike before Nike was Nike. You have Nike. Nike. You've overcome the world. Amen. You receive that today? All right, y'all go home. No, I'm kidding. Don't go home. Turn around, shake hands with somebody and say, I have victory.
Well, good morning. How's everybody this morning? This side of the room is really excited. I don't know about this side of the room. Are you all excited? All right. All right. All right. Well, you all in the middle have to blend this side with this side. Y'all, y'all good today? All right. Well, I want to welcome you guys to Cowboy Church this morning. If, uh, if, you, if you don't know, it's been a while since I've been up here. So if you don't know who I am, I'm her husband. Now, my name is Darren Gleghorn. I'm the lead pastor here, Cowboy Church. Man, um, we, we founded this church, her and I founded this church in um, May of 2000. So we're, we're going on our 21st year this year, and, and um, man, it's, what, a, what a ride. I, it doesn't feel like it's been that long, but, uh, but it is. And um, so it's an honor to get to stand before you guys today. I want to welcome you to our in-person service. Um, we've been dealing with a lot of stuff in this last year, and um, shoot, we just, we just keep rolling. Here at N3C, we just keep rolling. I want to welcome our online community as well. Um, if there's one good thing that the, um, this pandemic and all this stuff has is it's, it's caused us to grow our church in an online community all over the world, all over the United States. And we want to welcome you, our online community to joining us live this morning, or if you're watching this after the fact that, uh, man, you guys mean the world to us and we appreciate you being a part of N3C. Amen. 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 All right. Well, before I get into anything, um, into my message today, uh, the first of the month, we like to pray over finances. Last week, if you were here, we had such a great, um, it was a different kind of service, but it was a great service. Amen. Uh, just seeing how God works through people's finances. He cares about your finances. There's a lot of scriptures, many, many scriptures in the Bible that talks about finances and, and prosperity and the things that, that God has done for us financially and um, what he likes for us to do financially. So um, in that, um, man, it was, it was a good service last week. I hope you learned some. I hope you got signed up for Financial Peace University. It's coming up. But um, at the first of the month, we like to pray over the finances. And if you have never um, begin to give into ministry, not just this one, but any ministry. Let me tell you something. When you um, have a, um, a a purpose to give into the ministry, into the into what God has called you to give into, man, He blesses it. He puts His blessing on it. Amen. Amen. I love I love God's blessing on my stuff. Yeah. Not because not because I like my stuff, but because he gives me what I need to fulfill the purpose in my life. So anyways, with that, I just want to pray over you guys, those of you that have given here, given anywhere into God's kingdom. You are expanders of God's kingdom. You are the ones that, that spread the tent stakes out and make the canopies bigger with your finances. Amen? So I want to pray over that real quick. So if you would bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. For each and every person that's here, each and every person that you've called into um, a place of growing your kingdom. And God, as people have given over the, over the last um, 
bit of their time when you've called them into this kingdom as they have given God I just thank you so much for your blessing or your grace for your mercy upon our finances and so father today we just thank you so much for who you are and blessing us when we are obedient to what you want us to do regarding our finances we thank you for it we praise you for it in Jesus name amen, amen. So I'm trying out something new today. Um, what? I'm trying out something new for my benefit. So um, everybody just quiet real quick. Can you hear that? Can you hear a buzz? A cadence? Okay. It's not bad. I just don't want it to distract. Um, I got these um, watch-type things that vibrate on my arms, and they say it's to help the trimmers a little bit, so I'm trying them out today. So if you hear this buzz, we were in staff meeting the other day, and and I had them on, and Kirsty was sitting there, and she goes, what is that noise? (laughs) Is somebody's phone buzzing? You know, and I said, no, it's, it's just me. Uh, so anyways, if, if you do hear it, I don't want you to be distracted with it, but I just thought I'd let you know, uh, what I'm dealing with, uh, or what I'm trying out today. So, um, at this point, I don't notice anything, but maybe as I go forward, everything will be good. Um, man, a few years ago, I was, um, doing some studying and reading, and listen to some podcasts and stuff like that. And I, I come across the scripture in, um, in Genesis chapter 16. And you can get your Bibles and go over there if you want to. But I wrote something down on a little sticky note on a post-it and put it in my desk and said, I want to preach that one of these days. And so um, this morning, I hope it's time. Because it's been four or five years ago that I wrote that down and stuffed it in my desk drawer And now it came back to me over the last few weeks of thinking about today. And so if you have your Bibles, go over to Genesis chapter 16. And um, did you all see I got a new iPad the other day? I don't have to worry about my little one crashing on me anymore up here. So anyways, in Genesis chapter 16 is where we're going to go today. And and I, I I just want you to know that God sees you. He sees you. And here in Genesis chapter 16, I want to I want to give you a little lead-in coming into this place. But most of us know the story of Abram and Sarai, who later became Abraham and Sarah. God changed their name later on down the road. But where we're going to come to today, you're going to see a lot of this these names, the first names, Abram and Sarai. So Abram and Sarai were big Bible characters. I mean, they're from Genesis chapter 12. 11 or 12, all the way through he, the book of Hebrews, I mean, Abraham is, is mentioned quite a bit. And so many of us know that story of Abram and Sarai. At 75 years old, <clears throat> Abram was 75 years old when God revealed himself to Abram. And Abram and Sarai were not God followers. As a matter of fact, they were born and raised in a place called Ur of the Chaldees, which is modern-day Iraq. 
and they were considered to be pagans. So they, they worshiped multiple gods, not just one God. But this one God showed up to Abram one day, and he says, Abram, my name is Jehovah, and I am an influencer. <laughs> and I have a deal for you. If you would come alongside of me and do what I ask you to do, I will give you land, and I will give you a, a son. And at 75 years old, Abram had, had never had any sons. He had people working in his household that had sons, and he kind of would father them a little bit. But he had never had sons, and he had never had land before. So God said, you know, I'll, I'll give you land, and I'll give you a son if you will come and follow me. And Abram said, what have I got to lose? So he got up, gathered his stuff, and took off to the land that God was going to give him. And as he comes to that land, there's a famine in the land. He goes on down to Egypt, and down in Egypt, um, he got into a little trouble. His wife was pretty hot. At 65 years old, she's a good-looking woman, <laughs> and Pharaoh really liked her. So Abram said, well, she's really not my wife. She's my sister. He said that because he didn't want Pharaoh to kill him and take his wife. So Pharaoh said, oh, free game. So he kind of <clears throat> starts liking Sarai. He wants to make her his wife. And God gave Pharaoh a dream and said, look, you mess with Sarai, you're messing with me, and that's Abram's wife and not his sister. Pharaoh said, oh, crap. <laughs> and he went to Abram and he said, how come you lied to me? How come you told me this is, this is your, your sister and not your wife? Abram said, I didn't want you to kill me. Take her. Messed up thinking, man. So... Pharaoh said, all right, Abram, get out of here. I don't want to see you anymore. Take your wife with you. Even though she's hot, take her with you. <laughs> and here's some stuff to go with you. And God, or, uh, Pharaoh gave Abram, or uh, Sarai gave her one of his daughters as a servant. So they go back to Canaan. They set up house and... They got the land quickly. You know, God the influencer gave the land quickly, gave that promise to them, which is now called the land of Israel. He gives them that land and quickly, and, but the son, the child that was promised, is taking a little while. So that's where we're going to pick up this story. Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. And we're going to go through this pretty much this whole chapter today, so just bear with me in my reading. Coming from the New King James. Verse 1 says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian hand, uh, handmaid or maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go in to my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded her voice. Now, 
Sarah, you know, Abram had some pretty messed up thinking back in Egypt. But now she's got some pretty messed up thinking. She says, I can't have kids. So go, I'm going to give you somebody who can. And Abram said, okay. <laughs> I love that. He, Abram heeded the voice. Heeded. Verse 3 says, Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So God promises Abram and Sarai a child. At 75 years old, Abram's 75 years old. She's 65 years old when God promised them that. Now they've gone 10 years of practicing and trying. And nothing is happening. 10 years. Now we can sit back and say, you know, their, their thinking got really messed up in 10 years. You know, their, their faith started failing in 10 years. But before we start looking down on them for their 10-year failure, most of us, when we're promised something, we give God 10 days. And if it ain't here in 10 days, <clears throat> our faith begins to tank. <clears throat> but here, Sarai... She gets to thinking, why don't we just help God? If God is not going to do what we thought he was going to do, then maybe we need, maybe God needs a little help. This influencer, maybe he don't influence right. We're going to give him a little help. So, so the voice of reason begins to speak. And let me tell you something. I've tried to help God. Have you ever tried to help God? I have, and it didn't work. Because when, when we try to help God, we start listening to the voice of reason. And, and let me just say this, that the voice of reason, when we start to reason God's will, God's promise for our lives, when we start to reason our own mind reasoning, our own, our own wisdom reasoning, it's like Travis Tritt said, it's T-R-O-U-B-L-E. <laughs> it's trouble. We can get in trouble when we start reasoning what God has already promised. And so, verse 4 says, when, when he, Abram, went into Hagar, uh, one translation that I read said, consorted with. <laughs> That's funny. So when he, when he went into Hagar, and, she, and she, he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Her mistress, that would be Sarai, her authority. So Sarai has been trying to have kids in, even in her old age for 10 years. And she goes in to Abram and he and she and it. And then the morning sickness came. <laughs> and every time that every time that Hagar threw up, it was a despising in Sarah's eyes, in her life. The word despise there means uh, it, it, it means despise, but what happened 
one commentary said that when she despised, the, the, the way that she despised Sarai was that uh, Hagar began to brag to her friends. She began to brag in the house, began to brag in the community of how awesome Abraham is and how Sarai had the inability to be the mother that God had called her to be. And so as time went on, Sarah felt more like that she was being mocked, mocking, mocking, mocking. Every time, every time Hagar threw up, she wished that she was the one throwing up. She wished that she was the one and, and just felt mocked as people began to look down on her. And I don't know if you would be this way, but I think that I would, my anger would grow the more I felt despised. And what happened was Sarai felt despised, got angry, and she lashed out at Abram. Look at verse 5. It says, Then Sarai said to Abram, My wrong be upon you. It's your fault. What I did is your fault, Abram. Men, don't look at your wives right now. She says, I gave you my maid, in, I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between her or between me or between you and me. She tells her husband, the Lord judge between us, whether this was right or wrong. Abram had something to say about that. Verse 6 says, So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand to do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, with Hagar, Hagar fled from Sarai's presence. She left. Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day, for this time we have together. I thank you for this word. And I ask you, Father, to help us to hear speedily and accurately. And God, I pray that you would help me speak speedily and accurately and that we would see what you want us to see in your word today. We thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So put that story in your pocket for just a minute. We'll come back to it. But last year, I guess at this time, last year, we all went into a thing called quarantine. It was a, it was a time that we have never seen before. It was something that we had never um, walked through before. We never navigated before. It was something that you could not even call somebody that was older and say, what did you do when this happened to you? Because it had never happened like this before. So we all went into quarantine. We all went in, you know, couldn't go to work, couldn't go uh, do anything. So like many of us that our entertainment was outside of our home, we brought entertainment into our homes. We don't have direct TV or Dish Network or anything like that, but we have Apple TV in our house. So we began to watch a lot of Netflix, a lot of Hulu, and a lot of Amazon Prime. We got, you know, we got, we got the gamut. We got the whole shooting match full of stuff that we can watch. And, and so, um, so we 
started watching our entertainment at times, and, and we watched a lot of movies and a lot of shows and stuff like that. One of the movies that I remember that we watched was a movie called Knives Out. Anybody see Knives Out? Such a, such a good movie. Uh, I recommend it. It's good. Has one of my favorite actors in it, plays the lead role, Daniel Craig. He's the current James Bond. That's why I like him so much. But he plays, a, he plays a totally different character in this movie. He plays the detective. This, is, this movie's a murder mystery, kind of like uh, playing the game of Clue or watching an old Sherlock Holmes movie or something like that. It's one of those movies that have a lot of twists and a lot of turns. And Daniel Craig's character is he's the detective. He's like Sherlock Holmes. He's the one that goes in and begins to dive into all of the stuff that is going on to figure out who killed this man, the patriarch of this very eccentric family. So that's, that's kind of the plot. So I'll let you go and watch it. But as, as we were, as I was thinking about this, what I wanted to talk to you about today, this story came to my, or this movie came back to my mind because this detective, like every detective, has to sift through lies and deceptions twists and turns. Every time you think you got something figured out, it's this person who did this. All of a sudden it switches and it goes to another person. And, and so by the time you get to the end of the movie, you're, you know, you're like, it could be anyone. (laughs) But the detective, when he unfolds all of the stuff and reveals the person who did the crime, all of a sudden he is the one who has seen everything, everything that was a mystery, he saw it and he figured it out and he, and he brought us to the end of the thing to where we're satisfied when we leave that movie because he saw everything and, and he figured everything out. Well, I started thinking about it and our journey with God, our Christian journey with God is the same way. It's a mystery drama. Our life, your life is a mystery drama because you don't know how it's going to turn out, but you just keep walking through this and figuring things out like playing the game Clue. It's another thing. We bought a, we bought a, a Clue game over this time, didn't we, Rhett? And we played it with his fiancée, Lacey, and she smoked us all. And I said, put the game on. I don't want to play anymore. But if you need a detective, she's going to be a good detective in your life. Anyways, don't play against her. That's right. I'm going to have her teach me how to do that. But see, in this journey with God called our life, he is the detective because he sees, he knows, and he unfolds everything in our life. Many of us have a working knowledge of God. We have a working knowledge that he is all-powerful, he's all-present, and he's all, um, all-knowing. But when we, that's, that's a good positive in our life. But when we think about God seeing everything that we are, seeing everything that we do, that he is an all-seeing God. That sometimes gets a little sketchy because 
I know me and I and and you know you and and you know the secret places and the times that people are not in the house and 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 the things that that we get ourselves into in the secret time when nobody else is looking God is watching and that scares us because if God is watching everything I do then is is he seeing the clicks of the mouse is he is he seeing is he seeing the, the little sips of the alcohol that we have stuffed in the back of the closet? No, I'm not talking about me now. It's, <laughs> you know you. Is, is he seeing the cookies that we're tucking in behind under our pillow at night? I mean, there's, there's things we do in secret that we don't want anybody seeing, but God sees, and that scares the snot out of us to know that he sees. And so our mentality sometimes is that we're not proud of, uh, of our wrongs, of our bad things we do, that God sees. But then we start thinking, if he has seen my wrongs and my bads, how could a all-seeing God want to see my good stuff? Because he's going to be have his, have his mind cluttered with the things that I've done bad, why would he want to see my good? See, God is not, God is not human like us. He don't love like that. His love is not human like that. His love is he sees your good and he sees your bad and he never stops seeing you. He never stops seeing you. See, God sees everything. And when we have the mentality that God may not want to see our good because he knows our bad or he's seen our bad, it sometimes can lead us into a place of nowhere that we shouldn't be. We go into a place of nowhere. We go into a wilderness. We go into a desolate place because of the fact that we think that he don't want to see the good things we are. So coming back to Genesis chapter 16, here's this lady named Hagar. She, she is basically a victim in this game. She's a servant. For 10 years, she's been a servant. For 10 years, she's watched Abram and Sarai go through this process of believing God for a kid. And then she goes in, she's handed off to Abram and things happen and she becomes pregnant in the midst of that. And so as she does that, then all of a sudden Sarai gets mad at her because she feels despised and, and corrects her very harshly is what the Bible says. And when she corrects her harshly, Hagar says, I'm out. And she leaves. Now, Hagar we don't have any kind of writing of what she's going through at this time, except that she's, she's, not, she's really not searching for God. At least it's not recorded. She's not searching for God. She's not praying. We don't even know if she's still a, or if she's, if she's still a pagan or a God follower. We don't, we don't know where she's at in this story, except that she's a servant to Sarai. She's pregnant with Abr- Abram's baby and... She's done ticked off Sarai. 
But here's what we do know about Hagar as she leaves the house. She's pregnant, probably hormonal. She's jealous. She's rejected. And she's mad. And she stomps her little tail end out of the house and she starts going back. She says, I'm going back to Egypt. Adios, muchachos. But she's by herself. She's halfway to Egypt. And she's by herself on a lonely, desolate road. Stops at a wellspring in the middle of nowhere. The Bible says it's the wilderness. Look at verse 7. Now the angel of the Lord found her, Hagar, by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. It says, now the angel of the Lord. Anytime you see this in the Old Testament, you see not an angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord. It is the second in charge in heaven who would be who we know in the New Testament as Jesus. Jesus, it is believed that this angel, because it's capitalized, the angel is capitalized. It is God's son. It is Jesus that shows up on the scene and manifests himself as a human being before he was Jesus in the New Testament. And he shows up at this lady to this lady that's at the well, this wellspring. He shows up to her, and it says that he found her. I like this word found because it means to find or meet or encounter. But one definition that I found is it says to detect. To detect. A detective. He is a detective. He is like this guy in this movie. He's like the Sherlock Holmes. He detects her. And he comes to her. And he, and he speaks to her. Verse 8. Let's finish out the rest of this. It says in verse 8, And he said, the angel of the Lord said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for a multitude. In other words, he's saying that uh, there'll be too many to count. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction." He shall be a wild man. <laughs> I love that. He shall be a wild man. Go read it in the King James. It's pretty good. It's, I ain't going to say it here, but it says, he's a wild donkey is what it says. <laughs> but in King James language. Anyways, his hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? 
Therefore, the well was called Be'er Lahai Roi. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Bered. Now, here is uh, Hagar at this wellspring. And this angel of the Lord shows up. This angel of the Lord, who we know in the New Testament as Jesus. Jesus has this thing for foreign women at a well. Now, I say he has this thing. Don't go there with me, all right? He has a propensity to see a lonely woman at the well and how she needs to be seen. And so this angel of the Lord shows up to her and, and Hagar, what, what he sees in Hagar is he sees her beyond what she sees in herself. He did the same thing with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. He saw her beyond what she saw in herself. And that's how he begins to impact her life. So here in, in, in Genesis chapter 16, he sees Hagar. He sees her beyond what she sees about herself. And Hagar is standing there face to face, face to face with what she knows is God. And he is revealing that he sees her when nobody else can. That's the way God works in our life. Every one of us, he sees us beyond what we see about ourselves. We get into the same places, especially when we think if God sees me in my bad, how can he see me in my good? And it leads us into these desolate places. It leads us into these nowhere lands. It leads us into the wilderness. And I don't know about you, but I've been in some wildernesses over my life. I can honestly tell you that I look at my current path sometimes and think that I'm still in the wilderness. I cannot tell you how many times through what I've been dealing with over the last four or five years that I've come to God and I've asked him, do you see me? Do you see me, God? Do you see me? I know that people see me, but do you see me? Because it's there in that desolate place when, when God sees us, we're all, when, we, when any of us come into that des- desolate place, I want you to understand that we're not alone. We're not by ourselves. And we're not in a place where we, don't, we can't understand what's going on because on the inside of us, we are pregnant with something that needs to be birthed. We're pregnant with something that needs to be birthed. Just like Hagar in the wilderness at the well, she is sitting there pregnant and something this 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 god person shows up and says hagar your sarai is made and you're out here all by yourself see god wants to birth something in us but for him to birth something on the inside of us we have to understand something We have to understand that God sees everything even when you think he sees nothing. He's not just looking at your now. He's looking at your future. 
he, he knows before you were even born, he knows how you're going to end. He knows the end from the beginning. Can I, can I tell you something? I don't know if you can handle it. Can I tell you? The Bible says that before we were, he saw us. Before the earth was, he saw us. Before he said, let there be light, he said, let there be you. He knew your life before he even created the universe. It's in Ephesians. Go read it. God sees everything. And we have to understand that, that when, we're in the, when, when we are in the wilderness places, when we are in the middle of nowhere, when it seems like we're all by ourselves and, and, and we're out there all alone, there's something on the inside of us that he wants to help us birth. But we have to understand that God sees us. I want to give you four things here as I come to the end of this. I want to give you four things from this story that God sees that will lead us out of nowhere, that will lead us out of the wilderness, that will cause us to birth what it is that he sees in our life. Four things. Number one, he sees our name. He sees our name. When he showed up in front of Hagar, he didn't say, Lady, what's your name? He already knew her name. He showed up and he said, Hagar, there's nobody else out there. And here comes this dude showing up in front of her and he says, Hagar. What? He sees our name. Now, let me, let me just say this because we, we live in a world of numbers and passcodes. I mean, anywhere you go for somebody to identify who you are, you have a number. Social security number, driver's license number, um, credit card number. We, we live in this world of numbers. We live in this world of passcodes so that they know who you are, so that somebody can identify that you are who you say you are. You've come up with this passcode. How many of you forget your passcodes all the time and you have to cotton pick and reset the password every time you get into whatever you're going to get into? Every time you get a new device. <laughs> My wife is so famous for this. Oh, she gets, she, she wants something so bad. She wants some technology things. We, we got her an iWatch the other day and, and she gets on, and then she gets all mad because she has to remember her passcodes in order to set the thing up. And she, I say, you wanted it. I just obliged, and I'm not going to listen to this. I'm going to go outside. <laughs> Call Mark Fellini. That's what I always tell her. Call Mark. He knows. He knows how to do that. Anyhow, we live in this world of numbers and passcodes and identity through numbers and passcodes, but God knows your name. He sees your name. He sees you in your name. I wonder how many John Smiths are in the world. And we, that's why we give them numbers, because we can identify, because we don't know one John Smith from another, but God knows John Smith. God knows Mary Smith. God knows by their names. Have you ever wondered, like, when you pray, and you pray for somebody, 
you get all detailed with who they are because you think God don't know who they are, you know? I just want to pray for Bob, you know, Bob with the big hairy neck and feet that are too small. You know that, Bob. You know, we, we try to tell God who this Bob is. Well, but God is sitting there going, I know who Bob is because I see his name. I know who he is. I know his problems. And all you got to do is just speak their name or pray their name. <laughs> he knows. He knows. But God doesn't just know us by our name. He sees us by our name. That's why he showed up to Hagar and he says, Hagar. So what we've got to understand that God sees everything. He sees us by, her, by our name. He knows who you are. He knows who you are. He sees who you are. Amen? Number two, he sees our purpose. He sees our purpose. When he showed up and said, Hagar, he identified her as Hagar, Sarai's maid. He said, this is your purpose. Sarai's maid. This was, this was who she was. This is what she had been assigned to. And, and she is who she is in the wilderness, and he knows that. The wilderness, let me, let me just say this, the wilderness is never our purpose, but many times it is a means or a pathway to our purpose. She's stuck out there thinking that she's going back to Egypt, going back to daddy's house, and she's there, and he says, Hagar, Sarai's maid, this is your purpose. And you're not free from your purpose, even though you ran away from your purpose. See, Psalm 23, God's not going to leave us out in in the wilderness. Psalm 23, it says, even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I go through the valley of the shadow of death. I don't stop and build a tent and build a house there and set up camp. I don't set up camp in the valley of death. I go through the valley. I go through the valley. See, the wilderness many times for us is a result of of our purpose interrupted or a pathway to our next purpose. We're all going to go through wildernesses, but it's a pathway to our purpose or we get into the wilderness because our purpose got interrupted. And for her, her purpose got interrupted. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, it says that he works all things for the good. You know, you heard that before? Oh, God works all things for the good. But see, he works things for the good to those who are called, who are the called. The Bible, the, the Bible says who are the called, not just the called um, uh, that were called. It's the called according to his purpose. See, God is going to work good things when there's bad things going on in your life. But we've got to understand we are the called according to his purpose, that we are dealing with his purpose. We're on the pathway of his purpose and what he's called us to. Then he starts working things for the good. I know that, uh, that Hagar probably thought that she was, she, she was not going to go back to that place. But he shows up and says, I see your purpose. Your Sarai's made. Number three, he sees our reality. He sees our name, he sees our purpose, and he sees our reality. This is, this is what he says here. 
Um, back up. And there in verse 8 when he says, Hagar, Sarah's, uh, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? He's saying, I'm standing right here in front of you. Where have you come from in your past and where are you going? I see the reality where you're at and I've got to bring you into that reality. I see I see, I see your reality. See, our reality is this moment right here and now that is between yesterday and tomorrow. And he wants to bring us into that place. He wants, to, he wants you to know is that I don't just see your future. I do see your future. And I don't just see your past, good, bad, or indifferent, but I see you right now in the place where you're at. And if you feel like you're in a desolate place right now, he sees that you're there. He is with you. He sees you. He knows you. And he knows why you're there. But he wants us to know why we're there. Because if we can see our current reality from his perspective and not our own perspective, then we'll know how to get out of this place that we're at. And so many times we get caught up, we get caught up in our reality and we stay there. It's the valley of the shadow of death where we come and build a house. We don't need to do that. We need to, to, to get with God and let him explain our reality to us. And number four, number four, he sees our future. The thing that he says is, is, where are you from and where are you going, Hagar? And she says, well, I'm, I'm, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. He says, I know it. I know. But here's what I need you to do. I need you to turn around and go back to her. I need you to turn around. See, all of a sudden, she has this revelation because this dude that she don't know shows up, calls her by name, calls her purpose, shows her her reality. He says, now, if you'll just return and go back and finish your purpose, then I can release some things into your life that's going to help you in your future. See, my father in the ministry always used to say, talking about being called into ministry, he would say, it is better to be sent than just went. It's better to be sent. It's better to have somebody say, I see you in your reality. I see what your future is. Now go and do what I'm, I'm sending you to do, rather than somebody just walking out on things. Hagar walked out. She's sitting in that place in the wilderness by herself, pregnant, angry, hormonal, because she went and wasn't sent. He says, return to your purpose. Return to Sarai. Finish out what you were called to do. And then when you're sent, these things of your future will begin to unfold. And you'll walk where I want you to walk, not where you want to walk. I cannot tell you how many times over 21 years that I've had men called into ministry 
that agreed to sit under my authority and be fathered by me, when I brought a correction to them, they left. And I, I, have no, I have no regard in that except that I can continue to do what I do. But then they get out there and they start flailing about in the wilderness because they went and didn't allow me to scent them. I love, uh, let, me, let me rephrase that. I almost said I love when people leave. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't love when people leave. But I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, God is calling us to another state. They're calling us to another town. We're going to have to leave. We don't want to leave. This is our church. But, but God is calling us somewhere. And, and we've got to go. And then I'll say, I need you at church this weekend because we need to pray over you and send you instead of you leaving because you're mad at me for something. It's better to be sent than went. And so... That's, that's what he's saying. He says, I see your future. In order to, in order to uh, uh, unfold what I see in your future, I need you to do what you started out to do. See, if we're not released to go forward, we will live in perpetual wilderness all of our lives. But God was telling her, he said, Hagar, you did not leave the right way. You need to go back and you need to humble yourself to Sarai and position your future in my will. There's always a blessing in the release of godly timing. So here in this little thing with Hagar, for us, he sees our name, he sees our purpose, he sees our reality, and he sees our future. The rest of Hagar's story is that she did exactly what that angel what the angel of the lord what what god incarnate did or said to her she completed that we don't see that you know the story of her going back and what she said and all that kind of thing but he said humble yourself and go and submit yourself to Sarai again she went back she probably said she was sorry that she wouldn't let that happen again and that she had this baby in honor to Sarai and her household, even though it wasn't the baby that God had promised. She went back and did as the angel told her. She served Sarah for 14 more years after that. And Abraham, when it was time, Abraham released her and her son Ishmael from his house and sent her out in uh, the right way. And when she went out the right way, her son Ishmael gave birth to the Arab nation that we know today. The Arab nation are Ishmaelites. The Jews are Israelites. They're, they're born out of, uh, of Isaac that was the promised son to Abraham and Sarah. But what I want you to see as I close up here is Hagar, during that time in the Old Testament, they believed that if they came face to face with God, that they would die. I think it's in Deuteronomy that says, no man can stand before God face to face and live. 
But here she is at the end of this, out in the, out, at the end, of the end of this conversation with this angel of the Lord, with this God incarnate. She said, "I have seen God face to face," and she calls His name. He didn't say, "This is my name." She calls His name. She calls His name El Roi. El Roi. The word El means the strong one the authoritative one, the strong one, and Roe means to see. She, named, she said God's name was the strong one who sees. He, she said, I have seen the strong one who sees, and I have seen him and lived. I, I have seen him. See, this is so cool because God, when he shows up in our wilderness, and begins to birth something on the inside of us. He is the strong one who sees us. But in that moment, we see him. We're looking at him eye to eye, locking eyes with each other. And that, when we lock eyes with God, is when something begins to birth on the inside of us. It's when his word becomes real. We always want to know, when do miracles happen? That's when miracles happen. That's when miracles happen, when we're locked eyes with him and we see nothing else but the strong one who sees me. And we know that he sees us. If we're in the wilderness and we're sitting there crying in our wellspring because God don't have anything to do with me, God is right there. He's saying, raise your head, look at me in the eye, See me face to face because I am the strong one who sees, but you need to see me right now. So let's see each other together. But the comfort is God is saying, I see you. I see you. I see you. She saw the one who sees her. And for us, we need to see the one who sees us. God is there. God is with us. God knows us. God sees our name. He sees our purpose. He sees our reality. He sees our future. He sees you where you're at. And today, if you feel like that you're in a wilderness, I want to tell you God sees you. Your wilderness will always have a wellspring because God likes to meet people at the well. He likes to meet people at the well because when he meets you at the well, he sees your name. He sees your purpose. He sees your reality. And he sees your future. And he launches you, births you, births what's in you, to do his purpose and his will. Amen. If you would, would you bow your heads real quick? <clears throat> Maybe you're in this place today and and um, you may be sitting there going, um, that's me, I'm in the wilderness. I'm in the wilderness. I've been in the wilderness for a long time and I don't know why I'm here. It's just dry, it's desolate. I want to tell you God is here. 
God is looking at you eye to eye. And he sees you. Now, each and every person, God has the ability for his time and his space not to be taken up by several people. He's not looking at you as a group. He's looking at you as a person. He's personally standing right there in front of you. If you're ready to move forward into your future with him, into your purpose with him, he's ready to launch you. For some of you, it's going to be go back to where you left in anger, in hurt, feeling like a victim. But for some of you, it's you've been released in the right way. You're just in a place where you need to know that I'm with you going into your next venture. God is like that detective. He sees everything where you're at. This morning, wherever you're at, I, I don't know. I don't know you, and I don't know what you're going through, but you do. God sees you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would reveal yourself just like you did to Hagar, that you would reveal yourself to speak that you see us. I thank you that, God, that we all come to a place where we were released into our future, that we birth what you have given us into the future and that we finish out this walk totally relying upon you. We thank you. We praise you for seeing us. Now we'll do whatever you say to do to return. Thank you, Father. Father, I pray that if there's anybody in this room that has never asked Jesus or listening on um, online that have never asked Jesus to come into their life, God, I pray that there would be people that would say yes to you. See, Jesus never asked us to pray a prayer or walk an aisle or raise a hand. That's all good and fine. But he just asked, would you come and follow me? He has never said that you need to ask me to be a part of your life. I just want you to come and be a part of my life. And when you're a part of Jesus' life, he becomes your life. If you've never entered into that relationship with Jesus Christ, today is the day to do it. But you don't have to pray a special prayer. You don't have to do anything but say yes and follow him. If that's you today and you've never said yes to him, you can say yes right now. If you're in here today and you said yes to him before, but you're not walking in the place where you should be, say yes to him again. Father, thank you so much for those that are saying yes to you today. I praise you and I thank you, God, for a new life for them. I thank you for I thank you for revival in their life. I thank you, God, for purpose in their life. And I thank you that, Father, wherever wherever we go, you see us and where we're at. And thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.